Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Wait, what I was mean, your instant messenger had, name? I, oh, sold out baby. <laughs> what? Hello and welcome to Crush the Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Kirsten Lyons and I'm joined by my co-host and cousin, Aaron Raiderstorff. So Aaron, how you doing? <laughs> my week was rough. There were a lot of Oreos that were eaten. <laughs> you know, this time last year was the last time that I was with somebody because of COVID. We ended up ending our relationship in August and just leading up to the anniversary of like the last, the last time you time, saw him, the last time you saw him, right? Well, not the last time you saw him, the last time I saw him. <laughs> I haven't seen him yeah. in a very long time. It was international. So when COVID hit, we, we literally couldn't see each other. Like we couldn't mm. get into each other's countries and it was indefinite when we would be able to. And it was really, really tough. And I was just kind of dreading what this even leading up to wondering how I was going to feel during this week was really tough. I started to realize, you know, that was the last time that my life looked a certain way. And I was just kind of realizing like, it's okay to let myself grieve the life that I had because my mm. life is now 180 out from that situation. Welcome to crush the podcast. Welcome. <laughs> and I just started to realize, you know, it's impossible that your life looks how it did before this pandemic. It, it really is. And, and I think that it's totally okay to grieve the life that you had this time last year and this week last year and being so blindsided by everything that was about to happen. Mm. And I think what was so hard for me was realizing that so many of the ways that my life changed were not my choice. I had no control in them. Mm. The only way to really, I think, combat that is just to come to terms with it. You know, genuinely just grieve it, eat the Oreos. I don't want to say push through it because that's not what I was doing. I, I really was just kind of sitting with it for a while. No, I think I instead of, yeah, I think instead of pushing through, you were pushing into, which I think are very different things. I think pushing through is really wanting to get to the other side. And as much as we want that, you can't get to the other side unless you grieve it. <laughs> yeah, right? totally. And, and so, you know, yeah, I mean, this, this year has been so this, I mean, this podcast came out of this year, right? Yeah. And, you know, realizing that, that, uh, you know, probably everyone is feeling something about this week came from actually when I called you and I, I, I called you because I, I wanted you to tell me to not in a way to get over it, but I wanted you to tell me how, you know, when I call oh. you, it's very much like, what do I do? You know, tell <laughs> me <laughs> what are, what are the steps here? And you were like, well, you know, this week last year was actually when we met Loic. And then I kind of felt like a jerk because I was like, oh, she, you know, this must be a really fun anniversary for her. She must be loving this. And I was like, actually, never mind. Like, I'll just go. And then you said something really honest and you were like, well, no, but our life doesn't really look like the way we thought it would either this week last year. No, I mean, you know, we don't live in Brooklyn anymore. A lot of things happened over the past year. And there's this visual I had of bringing Loic. um, into our home and um, rocking in the glider that we used for Ellis. First, it was for two months in our apartment while we were staying with family because of like the 
when COVID was the worst in New York. Then we had to break our lease. We wrapped everything. We put all of our stuff in storage. We didn't know how long. It ended up being, you know, I think it was in storage for eight months. Almost a full year, I didn't get to sit in that glider. It was this like um, representation of everything that had been lost. And it was also this representation of everything we had, right? We had a safe place. We had the funds to put it away in storage. We had more than anything, we had a beautiful son and his birth family and this relationship. And, and so it was just like this amalgamation of all this didn't even unwrap it for a few days. Cause I wanted his room to be clean and ready. And then when we unwrapped it and just sitting in that chair has been, I'm going to cry. It has been such a moment of like, Oh, wow, we're here, you know? And, but also this like, Oh, wow, we lost a lot. Like, yeah. you know, and, and it's um, in those little moments that I think you recognize that. Yeah. I, I think, you know, mine was for me, I thought this was just about the guy. And then it wasn't until I was literally folding shirts and I saw, um, uh, a junior girls, I, it was a summer camp job that I lost and it was a junior girls t-shirt. And I was like, I will never have another, mm. I will never have another camp t-shirt unless I kind of buy it, but it won't feel like it's mine. And you know, what's so interesting is that all of this this week and everything. And, you know, Aaron, not my cousin, Aaron Noel, who we're talking to today. I think this is maybe the first episode we've had where her, her final destination didn't change, you know, kind of, Mm. I think it, it was just sort of her path to get there looked so different. And that's kind of what we're both talking about right now. These weren't necessarily plans that we had, you know, I'm sure you rocking like Loic in that glider wasn't like a a plan that you wrote down somewhere, but it was a, it was an image. It was a picture of Mm -hmm. something. And it was a a picture of how you saw something going. And those are the things that are hard to acknowledge as losses because they don't feel as almost, they don't feel as important. They don't feel as monumental when you know people are going through something so much greater, especially over this past year. But at the same point, I don't want to like comparatively compare my suffering or compare because then I'm just shaming myself or shaming someone else. And that doesn't help with any of pushing into the suffering and grieving and all that. So, um, yeah, but I'm glad that you had some Oreos. I'm glad that you called me. I'm also glad that I could be like, Hey, I'm also going through some stuff, uh, (laughs) not even related to what we just talked about. We'll get into that another time because we don't have time right now. We've got to get you, um, listeners to meet Aaron Noel, um, find out about her story. And we're just so excited for you to listen to this episode. So meet Aaron Noel. Erin Noel is a celebrity stylist, fashion designer, and creative consultant. But if you were to talk to one of her friends, she's just like you, trying to figure it all out. She moved to Los Angeles in 2008 with a variety pack of dreams. I love that, by the way. And while I, while she, not, not while I was working in retail, although I did work in retail, <laughs> while she was working in retail, she made connections with celebrity stylists and costume designers, which pivoted her career into styling. We love the word pivot. And one of her favorite parts of styling is that she gets the opportunity to build relationships with people and allow their inner beauty to shine through confidence and great style. Because at the end of the day, she just wants to love people well. Erin, welcome. Thank you. Thanks you're for having welcome. me. This is going to get real confusing because you're both named Erin. Erin, really quick, Backstreet Boys are in sync. Backstreet Boys. Oh. Interesting. I did not, this whole time I didn't know that's where you stood. I didn't. Wait, can I just say how you guys know each other before? Oh, yes, please. Well, I know you were roommates because I was like, you 
you lived together, but you didn't know these critical facts about her already. I know. I, well, now my question is, did I not know these critical facts or did I lie to myself for so long thinking she was an NSYNC fan when in reality it was really staring me in the face that she loved the Backstreet Boys? Well, to be fair, I really like both of them, but I think mm-hmm. when I go back to like replaying the classics from the nineties, I go to Backstreet Boys more than I go to NSYNC. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. You're not it's the just... first person who said that. You won't be the last. It's fine. <laughs> I'm proud. Yeah. And I like the Backstreet Boys dance moves better. I think <gasps> in terms of music videos, a little oh more my. iconic. Oh my, I don't. Okay, can we just move on from this? Sure, really sure. Emotional okay, so the first thing we do on the show before I, um, you know, hurt myself by asking people backstreet or sync, the first thing we do is we uh, talk about your perfect mash when you were 12 years old. So yeah. your perfect mash when you were 12 years old, would you have lived in a mansion, apartment, shack, or house? Mansion, 100. Uh, who would you have married? Leonardo DiCaprio. I really liked Romeo and Juliet. That oh. movie came out when I was Oh, 12. that movie was so And good. I was like, I just want that, whatever that is. <laughs> I want to, I want to stab and poison at the end. That's what I want. It's I was just be- like, this love story is beautiful. And this man is very attractive and I don't know what I'm feeling, but I want him <laughs> to meet me at the end of my street. And I just want to run away with him. <laughs> and then I think the other guy who was more realistic was this guy, Steve, who was a missionary kid in my choir class. And I really <laughs> loved him. <laughs> Did you ever yeah. tell him? Did he ever know? Oh, I actually was also thinking about this story because it's great. So he was leaving to go back to Africa with his family after his like year in the U.S. Um, hiatus or sabbatical or what I don't know what they call it when they come back for a year. <laughs> but I wrote him this whole letter about like, <laughs> I love you. Please, I'll wait for you. It was very sad. Oh, and no. I left it in his locker and like he didn't talk to me. <laughs> oh, no. But I, I had a lot of feelings at 12 and I wasn't, I mean, that's the thing. I wasn't afraid to tell somebody it was, and I was okay with that, but yeah. I just remember being mortified. I was like waiting, like, cause I would see him in the hallway. I was like, have you read the letter yet? He read it and he just couldn't handle that. Yeah. I mean, I've written boys a lot of letters and some response, some don't. <laughs> I've written or a lot of messages yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I've written a lot of letters as well. And I feel like there's this moment of like, when they don't look at you, like as you're passing in the halls and they look down, you're like, they read it. Yeah. They read it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wait, what I was mean, your instant had, messenger name? I, oh, sold out baby. <laughs> what? Don't. <laughs> I don't know. I had this dream of like being a pop star and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be able to say it's sold out baby. Like my show. Oh, <laughs> where did you want to live? <laughs> Sold out, baby. That's going to be what I call Los you. Angeles. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, what uh, what were you going to be? Woman of a lot of dreams and aspirations. Pop star, Olympic figure skater, Broadway <laughs> musical theater star, <laughs> and maybe a doctor. I didn't know. That sounds not only like Barbie, but also <laughs> like um, the new Disney Channel original movie. <laughs> She's a pop star, but also an Olympic figure skater, a Broadway star, and a teen doctor. Coming soon and on all the of Disney her shows Channel. are sold out, baby. 
Oh, I think you're a comedy writer too. How long have you been in LA? 13 years. Okay. And when you were working retail, was that towards moving to this goal of becoming a stylist? No. So I don't know if I knew what I was doing. The economy crashed. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because it's true. (laughs) It is. And I was living in Michigan at the time and the auto companies were really being affected in Mm. 2008. And I just wanted to come back to LA. I did live in LA when I was 18, 19 years old for a brief stint and then moved back to Michigan and got into retail. And then I came back in 2008 after applying for a job on Craigslist. So I just knew I wanted to come back here. I wasn't really sure what for or why I just wanted to pursue stuff out here. And I love, I love the energy of LA. It's creative. The weather's beautiful. I don't know. Something was just drawing me here. And so I packed up all my stuff and drove on out. Yeah, literally the girl in the La La Land song where she's like leaving everything on that Mm -hmm. bus. Like I listened to that song the first time and I cried. I was like, that was me. Yeah. Oh, that's that movie hit me in all kinds. I didn't actually watch it for a very long time. I wasn't, I like, I knew I was not in a healthy place to watch it. And when I finally did, I was by myself on a plane and I was like, (laughs) and Bradley and Ellie were in like the seats next door and Ellie wanted me and Bradley was like, not now, Ellie. She's having some feelings. very real the LA feelings yeah yeah your teams either come here to die or they come back (laughs) so glad I just moved here thanks guys great Um, just keeping it real yeah and for me they came there no that's actually not true a lot of mini dreams came true that's actually yeah okay so you're working retail and then kind of talk to us yeah lead us through kind of to get to this crush moment a little bit. Oh yeah. So I was working in retail and retail was never something that I pursued out of wanting to be in retail. I liked fashion and I didn't finish college. So that was like the way to make money. And it was a way to make the most money. And Mm -hmm. I also got free clothes out of it. So I was Mm -hmm. trying to make it work knowing that the end game was to eventually get out. And I met some amazing costume designers and celebrity stylists while working at DVF and then going to several other retail brands And then eventually made the jump into styling through just the introduction and building relationships here for, gosh, how long was it? Nine years. And a job was offered to me where I had two weeks of confirmed pay. And my former boss was like, well, I can pay you for two weeks. I have worked for two weeks, but I don't know after that. And then I ended up working for him for two years. I really loved it. And it it felt like the right fit. And I always enjoyed dressing people and helping them figure out stuff to wear in the fitting rooms and making them feel good. I enjoyed that moment of like the glow up, I guess you would call it, yeah. you know, where like the yeah. whole, their whole countenance changes by like putting on the right dress or putting yes. on the right outfit. So it felt like a natural progression, even mm. though there was other things that I wanted to do. I mean, there's other things that I did do. I wrote and recorded like an EP, which is something I always wanted to do was singing. I was graciously given work for two years and was right. considered like a full-time assistant there. And it was a dream job. He worked with one of, you know, the biggest pop stars in the world. And there mm-hmm. was a lot of opportunities and working with costumes and planning red carpets and doing all of these amazing things. It was really a dream job. And mm. my, my boss and I got along so well. I was working with one of my closest friends at the time. And I just was having a great time seeing um, all the different couture come in, clothes, gowns. It was a great learning experience. I learned everything that I know now from that job. Wow. And I saw myself being there for a long time. I didn't see like the next step beyond that. I was really content with growing and learning under my boss and being a part of that team. I enjoyed it. 
felt like I was ramping up to do even more and be involved with more. Gosh, it was so crazy. We started working on several projects that were lining up. And when you're planning for like an album release for a pop star, or if you're planning a press tour for a movie star, there's so many looks. Like it can be anywhere from like 75 to 100 and all these details are in place and there's meetings and all kinds of things, advertising jobs and all these things intertwined together because you're Mm -hmm. maximizing the talent schedule. So we had all of these things lined up. I'd worked several days in a row. I was exhausted, but that's just part of working in entertainment. Yeah. We're all, yeah, we're just exhausted, but I was happy to be doing the work and I was getting ready to head to set one day and I got into my car and I realized I'd forgotten something and I'd started my car and my car started rolling in my driveway and I jumped in to try to stop my car. And then my car essentially ran me over. It's hard to describe this to people that don't live in LA, but when you drive up to these 1950s and 60s style apartments Mm -hmm. that have the like slanted driveways, like right in front of them, it was then that. So it's slow. It was like rolling and I jumped into it, ran me over. And I think it stopped because the car hit the sidewalk and it was like flat. So it wasn't continuing to be slanted. So it did stop. It was shocking. I looked up, I was in a state of shock. I looked up and I saw that my ankle was like completely mangled and broken. You know, when you realize, or you look back on something and you're like, that wasn't healthy. I realized in that moment, the first thought wasn't myself. My first thought was I need to call my boss and let him know I'm not going to be at work. Wow. Yeah. And that was all I was saying. It wasn't saying like, help me call 911. I was like, you need to call my boss. You need to call my boss. Like, I'm not going to be able to make it. Like I felt so much responsibility to the people that I was working with and I cared so much, but like my heart was so into that job and into the things that we were doing. Um, and so I got to the hospital, I got to the ER and they told me I was going to have to have surgery. And I was so in shock. Like, I guess anybody outside looking in, um, would be like, yeah, of course you're going to have to have surgery. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) Right, right, right. I was like, what, what do you mean? And then the surgeon's coming in and telling me I'm not going to be, I can't, won't be able to walk for eight to 12 weeks. Wow. And my mom doesn't live here. I don't have family here, but I had some friends that were able to come. And I just, I felt like my life was over. Wow. Well, and I think what someone need, that may not know this industry and especially in like a stylist is that you're yeah. constantly on your feet. I mean, you're yeah. the, work, not being able to walk or, you know, right. be on your feet for eight to 12 weeks. That's, that's a career that's, ender, or at least, you know, there's no work yeah. for you at that point. Right. No, there's, yeah, there's no work. There's, um, you can lose relationships. I mean, your ability to work in this town is based on your availability to be physically mm-hmm. on set or physically in an office. I was like, okay, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get back to work. I had some really low moments. I was in the hospital for five days. I remember my mom. Came. I mean, there's this picture of me and I just am like the saddest I've ever seen myself, you know, mm-hmm. just like my whole spirit was downcast, but I felt so supported during that time. Like I was lonely but I had, my mom came, I was able to stay with friends and get taken care of. I had a neighbor take care of my dog and take my dog out. Like I felt super supported, but I, at the same time was like trying to figure out my worth too, of like, Mm. what's my value? What is, who am I? And then when I was ready to go back to work, which was gosh, I think four months after the accident happened, I went back to work. Wow. And the first day that I showed up to the office, 
I was ready. I was excited. I mean, I was still like struggling, like dragging my leg behind me. But I was like, I'm going to try and make this happen. And they shifted my entire position, basically eliminated the need for me creatively, creatively. And I sat across the table and like tears were streaming down my face. And there's a moment, there's moments in life where you're just like, God makes it so evident that like, that's not your place anymore. Like mm-hmm. he's going to move you on to something, but you just don't know what it is yet. But I was, I found so much value in myself and being attached to what I was doing mm. that it, it was like almost worse than what the accident did to me, what happened in that meeting. So they sat there and they said, we have an office position for you essentially. I became a shipping mule, like FedEx, UPS, running returns. And I remember my boss sat across from me and he said, I know these are not your gifts. I know this isn't what you want to do. You're very gifted creatively, but this is all I have for you. And meanwhile, I watched all of these freelancers come in and, and do the creative stuff that I wanted to do while I was on office work. And I wept for three months straight every single day. Was that because physically you couldn't do the work? Like because of your no, ankle I was, or was- They never told me why I could, I tr- tried to ask them and they could never give me a clear answer. I was doing the most physically, the most laborious work right. out of everybody. Like I was loading and unloading cars and shipping FedEx boxes around. I don't know. I'll never know the reason. I was mm. heartbroken. Um, and then eventually wasn't, didn't go back to that job and- the friendships all shifted in a way that we didn't connect anymore. And it was mm. really sad. It was really sad. I was, I mean, I, there's really no word for it. Like I was so crushed. I like, that was my crush moment. Was there a final straw moment or was it kind of a slow burn and something one day you were just like, I have to, leave it was this. a, it was a slow burn and it was, it was rejection at the highest level, but it was like, there were, they were like rejecting me so slowly. It was almost like they were, you know, pushing me out. When my boss started passing me off to other stylists to start doing work is when I knew. And he tried to have all these conversations, but I so badly wanted to be a part of that team and a part of what was before. And it just wasn't there anymore. I think you said something earlier, which I really appreciated. It's kind of like sometimes those, those places or those things or those jobs or those relationships are there for the moment. And then it's yeah. like, you know, that's a really hard lesson or gr- like growing pain to be like, this isn't here anymore, but I, I'm, I haven't grieved that fully, or I haven't even begun to grieve it. Yeah. And when it's wrapped up with people that you care about deeply mm. and you find your identity in that thing, mm. it's even worse. So yeah. I felt like my whole who I was, like, I didn't matter because I wasn't doing that thing. I wasn't attached to something. And for so many years, I was ashamed of being in retail. And I finally felt like I had a job that I was proud to say, I'm this, I'm, you know, working with this person, I'm doing these jobs. And I felt so proud of myself that I attached my identity to it. Oh yeah. And And God knew what he was doing when he took it away. I've had so many great opportunities. It has not been an easy road. It's been an uphill battle. Half the time I feel like I'm going up the hill, I peak and then I'm sliding back down the hill again. And then like, mm-hmm. that's life. Yeah. These peaks, but most of the time you're climbing or you're sliding. Yeah. It's it, at least in my life, but you can't function well as a human being, whether you have faith or not, 
if your identity is tied to something other than like who you truly are. I resonate with that so much. And the, for me, there was like an embarrassment when I stopped pursuing acting. And I I don't know if I'll go back to it at some point, but there was this embarrassment of like, this is what I came to do. I did Mm -hmm. it a little bit. I don't feel like I finished the job, if you will, or the job was like, no, thank you. (laughs) Like the job was like, no, no, thank you. You know? And it was like, these doors were closing and it was like, no matter what I did, I couldn't get these doors open. And it was, it was a really embarrassing slash humbling slash confusing. It was just so, so confusing. Um, Mm -hmm. and I see now all my identity and worth was putting into that. And I think too, with LA, there's something about if you come out here to achieve something and you don't do it, what's said to you is you weren't cut out for the job. Yes. You weren't cut out for LA. So you, you have this like achiever thing. And most creative people do We're people pleasers Mm -hmm. We're achievers. We want to be number one. We want to be different. We want to do something that's monumental. And so when someone says, oh, you just weren't cut out for it. It's like, you still will pursue something with the hope of like, no, I can I, I want to prove my say. worth. I want to yeah, prove, prove my worth. And I think that was a lot of it. And even though I was doing the best job that I could, they had already decided where they wanted me. I did my job the same as I did before the accident, if not better, because I was trying to win their approval and I couldn't. It was heart, it was heart wrenching. So I quite frankly wanted to end my life for mm. an entire month. I could barely pull myself up off the floor most days. Mm. And but I got, but I got through it, but that was because I placed my identity in the wrong place. Yeah. But it, it took that for me to recognize it. And I'll, I'll never allow that to happen again. Wow. How do you go about rebuilding after something like that? Because, you know, you finally got to the point where you realized like, okay, this isn't healthy. I don't want this anymore. I don't want to feel like my worth is tied up in this. How do you go rebuilding from that? Yeah. it's a good question. It's really a day-to-day practice. I had friends for years telling me that I should go to therapy. I'm a huge believer in therapy when something traumatic happens. I think you can't do something like that alone and you can have the most amazing friends in the world that listen to you, but until you talk through something with someone. And I realized too, that a lot of my feelings around that were tied back to things that had happened to me in my childhood, like rejection as a kid. So I was able to process that in therapy, a lot of prayer, a lot of just one day at a time. And I had to first decide do you still want to do this? Mm. Do you, do you love this? Do you still want to do it? Do you still feel like this is what God wants you to do? And I did, I felt like that was what God was still calling me to do. And I had even better opportunities. One of my favorite things is that I got to work on the once upon a time in Hollywood, like press packet. There's, there's been so many, Isn't that Leo, I was yes. just going to say that's our yes. first full circle from mash. Yes. It was just a moment where I was like, you know what? I would have never stepped outside of what I was doing before to see that and to be able to jump for that without those, those places. And then I graciously was given work with one of my friends who now I, you know, I style when she has opportunities Mm -hmm. and it's, you you watch the pieces fall into place once you continue moving in the direction that you feel you're supposed to, to do. And even with the pandemic, it's like the same thing is happening again. Like saying, all right, I'm going to outreach and I'm going to see what's out there and available. And it's a lot of trust and just saying, okay. I think what's also really interesting to go back to when Aaron asked, you know, okay, where do you go from there? I think therapy is so important 
Um, yeah. I mean, all of us here, big, big thumbs up on therapy. But I, I also think what's so important about therapy and what, and what leads out of it, I guess, is asking the questions that you were asking, you know, like, yeah. um, do you still enjoy it? Do you feel like, you know, one of the things that I think is such a great question is, is it life-giving? I think a lot of times we're so scared to ask those questions, or at least I can only speak for myself. I was petrified to ask that question, you know, of, is this something I really want and why do I want it? And, and Mm -hmm. all of those things. Well, I realized when I started doing some of my own editorial jobs for free, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's when I was like, okay, yeah, you still really love this. And I enjoyed it. And I, I enjoyed the artistry aspect of receiving the images back and being like, oh my gosh, I did that. Don't be afraid to really look at yourself and say, because you don't have to, you're not living life for anyone else mm. in this world. I mean, I, if you for me, I'm a Christian. So like I'm based my worth and my life in Jesus Christ, but whether you do that or not, it's like, I don't need to impress you, Kirsten, or you, Aaron, like I need to do what I feel like is most true to who I am. So if you think back to like when you were a kid, like what did you like to do? I love to look at fashion. I love to reorganize my closet and I love to write songs on my cassette tapes. And that's, those are the things that bring me joy. And I think it's okay if it's not what, if it's not going to make you a ton of money, it's okay. And it's okay if it doesn't impress anyone because it's your life. I believe it was the great poet Shania Twain that said that don't impress me much. It's interesting, everything you're saying, because the town that you both live in and the town I used to live in says everything like the opposite, right? Everything is, oh, if you're an actor, what have you been in? Who have you styled? You know, what have you AD'd on? What, whatever the right. whatever the thing is, it's it's and it, what's so fascinating is those people are being asked the same questions. And it's like, there's this element of like, it's never enough. And I think the gift of crushed moments is that the reality smacks you in the face um, that it is never enough. Right. I had in Atlanta, because I lived in Atlanta for three years and that's where I started. That's where I started like really doing acting. Um, One of my acting teachers who had lived in LA for like 15 years, ask people instead of, oh, what have you been in is, oh, where do you take classes? Yeah, I really like that. And I think asking people if they're creative, like what's inspiring you right now? Like mm-hmm. what what's the, your most favorite project? Like instead of making it about what have you done? Who have you worked with? Like what brought you the most joy in your career? And Can I ask you what that was? I think there's two things that, I mean, they both came, were birthed out of this year. I mean, the first one was my clothing line collaboration, which I was really excited to do. I've always wanted to design and have a collection. I hope to have my own line in the future someday. And then a custom coat that I've created for a client, which again, all was related to design. It was like, I wanted to take all the knowledge that I've had in retail, watching people try clothes on, um, seeing all of these items. Cause a lot of times I see stuff in my head and then it's not out there. So it was great to be able to put my ideas down and then see them come to life. It was a really proud moment for me. I remember that coat and I, it was, I loved it. Like I, Thank I loved it. It was green, right? Yeah. Yeah. I loved that coat. I remember seeing it. I remember you putting up your client, putting up, it was just, it was, it was, it, it was so perfect for the season. It was so perfect for what you Thank were styling you. for. It was just great. It gave me a lot Thank of like, you. it was like an emotional response. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But, and I, and I really enjoy that 
about your work is like, I feel like, you. you know, I, there are a lot of times I do have an emotional response. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kirsten. Isn't the world of celebrity fashion just like mesmerizing? I was just about to ask you the same thing. Were you also about to ask me where you can find the latest sneakers and the cutest styles that work for your new lifestyle of working out every single day? How did you know that's exactly what I was going to ask you? You're my baby cousin. I got you. Also, I can't believe you work out every day, but that's for a completely different conversation. I can believe that you can get the latest releases or even rare vintage sneakers at the eBay marketplace. You're kidding. No, not one bit eBay even has authenticity guarantee that your sneakers will be meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Did you just say meticulously? No, I did. There's a literal team of experienced sneaker authenticators verifying the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Wow, I can't thank you enough for telling me about this. I'm going to have the best new kicks in my workout. Just head over to ebay.com slash sneakers today eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Somebody you styled, was it a purple pantsuit? Or was oh, it a like- Pita. Yeah, but what Pita was the- Murder what, Detroit. What, what, was it a purple pantsuit? It was bright blue. Bright blue. It was like aqua blue. Yeah. Yes. That is one of my like favorite things. You've, it is just so like punching and because of her figure and her height and everything. I mean, I don't oh, yeah. I assume she's tall. I don't know if she is actually, but I, I don't know. It was just such a great, like Thank creative you, visual moment. Yeah. And that was like such an interesting thing because I packed that, we picked that out for her for fashion week and she ended up coming out of a show or an event. And this photographer was like, can I take your picture? I'll send it to you for free. Will you tag it? And so we got this amazing photo of her at New York Fashion Week that like, wasn't planned. Yeah, that's what I also love about the industry is it can surprise you too. Like you can get these really beautiful moments that you weren't anticipating. Like sometimes I don't know if I'm going to get a picture, but I can't, when they start rolling in, I'm like, yes, <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> I think something else that I really enjoy, and, and I think this is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think this count has come out of this past year, but this, you're really trying to open your, it's not just high fashion for clients that, a need to an event or something, right? You're, you're doing right. more on your social for, um, me, like you're doing more, Everyone. like, do you want to see this look? How do you, how would you wear this look? You're asking questions, yeah. you're showing, um, looks and obviously you're doing personal styling. Growing up, not in a big city, you idolize this like Hollywood lifestyle. And then you get out here and you realize everyone else is a human being. Yeah. not any better than any, than anyone else. Yes. It's so fun to work with celebrities and be a part of the events and get those beautiful pictures and have access to these beautiful clothes. But like, I, at the end of the day, I really want my work to inspire other people to be the best version of themselves. And I think getting dressed can showcase uh, your personality and also show people who you are through your clothes. Mm. And it builds confidence too. Like I think if you have a great outfit that fits well, you see it on the red carpet. Everybody wants that. And I think that's part of Hollywood's appeal is that you see these people who are beautiful, they're talented and they're dressed really well and they're confident when they go out there. And that's because there's people like me who are putting all of those things together. But also we don't just do it for ourselves. Like I really enjoy the aspect of making sure that my client feels great. and what Yeah. I think something else that it, I'm just thinking about this, like, I don't know if people know how much work goes into that oh. moment. So 
I don't just mean like, I think a lot of people understand, okay, it's like hours of hair and makeup, but like the amount of like, pull, you know, I styled for a very short amount of time for a TLC show for like a year. And like the amount of things I pulled to the amount of things this host wore, I don't even know the percentages. And I think for women to understand that these women that we may look up to for X, Y, and Z or not, when you see them looking this way, the amount of people it took, the amount of time it took, and also the amount of outfits they tried on and they didn't feel good in this or this or this, but you found them something. Fit is so important. I mean, to take you like quickly through the process, it's emailing brands and showrooms and designers to find out who your client is approved for, getting everything shipped or picking everything out, then getting everything shipped to you or picked up, organized together for a fitting, taken to your client's house to have the fitting, having, having a fitting for one to two hours, trying stuff on, then you have it tailored, then you come back for the event and get them dressed, then you get the picture, then you have to go pick it all up. I mean, it's several hours, days of work. And I think people don't realize that. So when you look at yourself in your own closet and compare yourself to somebody who has a whole team doing this for you, it's just not, it's not fair, but I think it's not a fair comparison, but I do think that there is something that every woman can access Mm. in their own wardrobe that doesn't require an entire team. I do the virtual styling that you uh, so graciously offer. And it was amazing. And, and it changed my life. you didn't even, Aaron didn't know that Aaron was my cousin. <laughs> or should I say, yeah, that's true. should I say sold out baby? Didn't know <laughs> who my cousin Aaron was. One thing, I mean, it's a whole longer story, but I really needed to figure out before I asked for your help was like, what is it that I struggle so much with? And I think I just never really felt confident with what I was wearing in the sense that I never knew if it looked good. I'm not comfortable with my body at all. And I remember when we had our first like preliminary meeting, one of the things I said was like, embarrassingly enough, I've never really felt sexy, partly because if I ever tried to dress kind of sexy, I just felt like the outfit didn't work. It didn't look right on me. I just looked like I was trying, I was wearing a costume and you said, well, sexy isn't showing skin. It's not really what you wear. It's how, like who you are. It's how you feel in your clothes. It's confidence. And like, it just blew my mind. Nobody had ever told me that before. And I think my jaw just dropped. And I was like, I never considered the fact that like, yes, obviously clothes present a certain look, but it's so much about who you are underneath them. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for the plug. And I feel like I need to like grab that clip and like, (laughs) But it's really true. Like you can give anybody a bunch of clothes, but if you haven't done, I don't want to say inner work because that's like so. But it's true. Like, but it's true. But but you do. You have to work on who you are inside, and you have to be confident in who you are. Clothes help. They definitely help if you have the right outfit on. It makes things better. But yeah, sex appeal, confidence, any of those things doesn't come from putting on an outfit. Like that comes from in here. And my job is to help build that. Because if, you, if your clothes are uncomfortable, that's part of my job too. Like if you're on a carpet and you're pulling and you're, you know, feeling your undergarments move around or your shoes hurt your feet. Like that's not fun. Nobody presents like the best image when they're doing that. So, you know, something yeah. else, right. When you guys were talking, I was thinking is the gift of the crushed moment. I think what's so beautiful is I don't know if you had continued in the path that you were on without that crushed moment and continuing to put your value and worth in that job had, would you be able to like love people as well and to give people, whether they are celebrity clients or, um, the, the civilians, if you will give them 
the tools that I think you're able to give them now. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I, people ask me, would you go through that again? Absolutely would. Wow. Because it, it changed. Yeah. It also reminds me of the question of like when my parents got divorced and my, our family lost everything financially. When my parent, my parents got divorced, there's other things in play, but people ask, like, would you have asked for your parents to stay together? And yeah, an ideal world, that would have been great. But like, I don't know who I would have been if I would have grown up with a ton of money and been like a rich kid um, and in high school. And it's that same Mm. thing for me now and as an adult saying Mm. is that you have like, you have that empathy and compassion for other people who are experiencing pain, even if it's not the same pain you went through. And I wouldn't change that because it helps me love other people better. Like being oblivious to someone else's experience is not a good way to love someone or to not be able to relate. And I feel like I can relate to people more, especially when it comes to like insecurities and, and body image and all of that. Like I have scars all over my leg now. Like I get it. Like, and and it, and it, and there's emotions and experiences attached to those things, whether it be like extra baby weight or stretch marks or, you know, surgery wounds or a burn or anything. Like we all have those places that go, Oh, like, I don't love that about myself, but it's attached to something. And that kind of circles back. I guess you kind of already answered it to some of our wrap up questions. What would you tell your, your 12 year old self? Oh, it's so hard because 12 year old me, like, even though she had big dreams, she really wanted to be married with kids. So she knew she was like in her late thirties and not married with kids. I'm like, what do I tell 12 year old me to like, that it's going to be okay. I mean, it is going to be okay. Like, I no, wait, to- you need to know something because Aaron said that you guys chatted about, uh, and you were like, Oh, I'm the single girl. It's funny. I have a lot of single friends and, mm-hmm. and Aaron, their hand up but I'm one. that are in various uh, decades and age group. I think what's really interesting is how so many of my single friends think because in their circle group, they might only be one, there might only be them or one or two other. And I'm like, no, no, like I want to get a club together. So like the, my point of the show is so people don't feel alone in these crushed moments. And like, I hope people are seeing like, we've, we've literally three out of our four guests have been single. And that wasn't, I, uh, that's, I'm not me trying to make a point or like, it's just how it all shook out as we're booking guests. So yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like, how do you prepare your 12 year old self for like her life to get flipped upside down and really Mm. just be a bumpy ride? I would tell her like, don't abandon your faith. When my parents split up, I think I would have been better prepared to handle some of the things that were thrown at me. Mm. I think that's what I would have said because I, I didn't feel like God was for me. So I think mm. I would have said, don't abandon your faith. Like God is for you and he loves you no matter mm. what. Mm. I totally get that. Um, what was, what is the best advice you were ever given? I've had a lot of really great advice to be honest. Like I've had people tell me you're really good at everything, but you're not amazing at anything. <laughs> you and Kirsten have these like anecdotes about the like horrible things that people have just said to you. Erin, we've lived in LA for a very long time. Working at BCBG in Paseo, Colorado and Pasadena. uh, I'd been in LA for like six months and it was closing. It was dead, whatever. And this guy comes in, he was uh, Russian and he comes in and I'm just standing there like wanting to close up and like pretending to fold clothes or something. He's like, you, you're beautiful. And I was like, oh, Thank you. And he's like, he's like, you could be a model. Your body's great. Your height's great. Your face's great. But what happened there? What happened? 
And he points to my nose and he goes, you break it, you break your nose, you're gonna get, have to get that fixed. And I go, I have not said one word other than like, hello. And I'm like, what? And he goes, I Ugh. know, I work in the fashion world. I cut leather in Italy. Oh my God. I cut gosh. leather in Italy. So now I can tell you what you should do with your nose. And I mean, I really do believe that's Los Angeles in a nutshell. Like, and I don't want to hate on LA. LA gave me my husband. LA gave me two of my children. Like I love Los Angeles. It, it gave me a career and dreams and all kinds of things. Yeah. I want to hate on like, but there is this like element of like everybody thinks they know what they're talking about. And yeah. me included, I've said some stupid things, but yeah. I just feel like I haven't talked to any. I've lived here now almost what you nine moved in a months. pandemic. That's true. I was gonna say I haven't talked to enough people to for anyone to even say anything like that to me, but that's true. I just haven't talked to anyone in general. LA is a really, it's a really interesting place out here. I mean, I have to really, I feel like, I feel like I've erased a lot of the trauma of things that people have said to me, but I've had some horrific things said and I just, yeah. Well, our next Ooh. question is what's the worst advice you were ever given? I don't know. There's so much bad advice. Like <laughs> there's so much, but I feel like when anyone says, oh no, you shouldn't do that. Like, who are you to tell me what I should and shouldn't do? Mm. Like, just like something simple like that. Like, no, don't do that. What? Why? Why not? You know, there's this big lie that, and I know you can relate to this, Kirsten. When you come to LA, you've grown up loving things in like a really pure way, like Hollywood, music. Mm -hmm. You're so excited to be there. And then it's like, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't like any of this. I have to be professional and I have to be cool. And <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, you feel like you can't be who you really are. And I think, mm. I think if people came to LA and were a little bit more authentic. I was talking to my therapist about how much I loved Parks and Rec. It was one of those, like, before you start getting into the real deep stuff. And she was like, well, what is it about like that show? Like, I was like, I think everyone's just joyful. And I think yeah. Leslie Nope specifically, she finds so much joy in the small things and it's contagious and she's not apologetic about it. And she's not ashamed. Yeah. Of it. And I just yeah. was like, what if I actually started acting on the joy that I feel on different things and it completely changed, it changed my life totally. And I just, it's so, I, I love hearing from you guys both kind of a similar take, which is that it's, you know, it's important to experience joy if you find things joyful. I yeah. think also I gave up the notion that I was cool or I needed to be cool. And it took, it took a while. I'm not going to lie, but it was like, this is just who I am. Like yeah. I love Jonathan Taylor Thomas and I am fine with that. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think that that, I think that that's great. And I think when you're joyful and you're real about the things that you, that make you happy, it disarms everyone else. Mm -hmm. Cause yes. everyone's else like, Oh my gosh, I loved him too. Or like, this is really cool. I mean, I, I worked, I went to uh, Wango Tango two years ago when I was working it, I was styling a couple people there. And I remember, um, there was a talent on the stage, uh, Taylor Swift was there and I just like lost my mind. I was like right in the front and like where the, I was working and I was just like, whatever, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Like, this is so fun. And like everybody who else was working there, the girl, Hannah Brown from the bachelor was also losing her mind too. And like, we were just all <laughs> dancing in the front, losing our minds. And I was like, this is fun. This is why people come to work here. This stuff is fun. Like you see so many people on the sidelines, like pretending to be so serious. Like don't let anybody see me smiling at this event. Like I'm working. So 
I think it's important. And our last question, actually, that brings us to that. Um, what is your crush song? This kind of ties into like my 12 year old self. So I went to the fair when I was 12 with my girlfriends and it was like the summer before seventh grade. <laughs> we were on that like spinny ride. What was that thing called? I remember Alanis Morissette ironic was on and I was like sitting there like it's like and like riding on this ride. I was like next year I'm going to have a boyfriend. And I just remember like like spinning around and around and around on that ride, like daydreaming about this boyfriend. And I'm still daydreaming about this boyfriend since then. Since <laughs> All right. Sold out, baby. AKA oh my Aaron gosh. Noel. I'm like, thank oh you no. so much for being here. This was such a lovely talk. It- oh, Same. wait, wait, before we, where can we find you, Aaron Noel? <laughs> you can find me on my website at uh, com or on Instagram at Aaron Noel. L-A. Not Erin Noella, but that's what I always say. Yeah. And we yes. will, of course, tag you in all of this. So people will be able to Amazing. find you. Um, we're so excited. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.